Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. The narrative of Ananias and Sapphira is a sobering warning to the consequences of sin. As Pastor Jason continues to lead us through this walk through the book of Acts, today he's in part 21 in a sermon he's entitled, The Significance of Sin. Let's join Jason now and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, and today he's looking at verses 1 through 11. Here's Jason. Welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. When you came in, you should have received a a nice bulletin. And we would love for you, if you are visiting, and even if you are not a visitor, you've been here many, many times before, we would love for you to, to fill out our, one of these little cards here. And if you are new, you could just let us know a little bit about yourself. And if you'd like us to get in contact with you, you can leave some sort of contact information. And if you have a, a prayer request, you can go ahead and put that in as well. We would love to pray for you. Also, in your bulletin, there is a, a small little little blurb. I guess it's not that small. It takes up almost half the page <laughs> on community groups. And I am actually not going to spend too much time talking about community groups because we are going to be manning, or at least someone will be manning. I'm not certain that... that I'm going to be out there all that much, but but one of us pastors and, and elders um, will be standing by the hub. And and please, if you have any questions concerning these community groups, please come and talk to one of us. We 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 would love to try to fill in the gaps, and 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 I'll continue to fill in the gaps, and we'll continue to fill in the gaps as to what kind of questions you may have. We are very excited about this because it, it gives us an opportunity to spend time one with another. And, and as you look at the, the little blurb in, in your bulletin, it says, yes, pray for the elder board. All of us, as, as we're still in the process of developing the community groups and what this is going to look like and how it's going to unfold and what time it's going to unfold. And, and then there's also a a little section in there that says, how do these community groups fit in with the mission statement of RBC? And if you'll follow along with me, it says this, which states that RBC, RBC exists for, for three purposes. What to, one, to glorify God by making disciples. Who? To love God, love others. And three, live to reach the world for Christ. So how does the, the, these community, community groups fit into, into that Mission statement. Well, the community groups and the mission statement of RBC are, they, they fit in hand in hand. They, they are one in, of the same. Because these community groups will, they'll be set up, organized, and intentionally driven to cater to an, an environment of, of, I would call it intentional discipleship. Where we will pour into one another. And that will, as you see, three things will occur as a result, and even the purpose is to why we are meeting in these groups. One, which will give God glory as people share their lives with one another in, a, in God-honoring fellowship. Each person who comes to the community group will be, two, challenged and encouraged to love God and others by stepping into life lived together. 
This means each person will be discipled by community. All of us interacting with one another. Sharing lives with each other. With leaders guiding the process and setting forth the example. This life lived together will also encourage and challenge all members of the group to be involved in three reaching their neighbors and and world for Christ. Which fits in beautifully with the mission statement of RBC. And we ask that you would just be praying about how you might get involved and what that looks like. And in the next couple of weeks, I'll, I'll, I'll add a little bit more into this puzzle that, that we're trying to put together. Is what, well, Pastor Jason, what do you mean by community groups? And how are these different from the fellowship groups that have happened in the past? And what will happen in these groups? And, and where are they going to be happening? And what day are they going to be happening? And, and is, this, is this really mandatory? Are you really going to take a stick and come out? No. But it's something that we are very excited. Why? Because we need to live life together. And the body functions in such a way that the body needs to function. And when we meet on Sundays, it's very difficult for us to to truly function with one another. So, turn with me to Acts. Let's spend some time in in God's wonderful Word. Getting back to Acts chapter 5. Actually, beginning Acts chapter 5. As we continue our walk through Acts, watching Jesus at work, and today we're going we're gonna to cover a passage of Scripture that, that, that we're all very familiar with. And I probably could have entitled this a couple different ways as far as naming a sermon and, and, and even the, the way about by which I was going to preach this. But the Lord kept bringing this back to the idea of the significance of sin. And that is something that is clearly evident in, in this text. So follow along with me as I, as I read out loud. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself and his, with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your all-sufficient, without error, 
inspired Word. We pray now that You would use Your Word to impact our hearts, to change us, to allow us to truly see and understand the significance of sin and how You want sin to be dealt with. Speak to us through Your Word now that we might be changed, that we might be conformed more and more into the image of Your Son. And the only way that is going to happen, Lord, is if first You inform our minds, You transform our minds, and You allow us to act according to Your Word. May that be the case. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So we see here the significance of sin. And, and what we're going to see really is, is, is a cycle of sin that's portrayed for us. And it's, it's play, played out basically kind of two cycles. First, we're going to see it with Ananias. And then we're going to see the same cycle produced again with Sapphira. And it's not so much the cycle of sin as it is the whole package. In, in fact, God is in focus. The Holy Spirit is in focus as we will see. As first sin is play, planned and then played out, and we'll see that first in verses 1 and 2, and then we'll see that again in Sapphira in verses 7 and 8. Then we're going to see sin is exposed, and that's in verses 3 to 4, and then again in verse 9 with Sapphira. Then, then we'll see sin is punished. And we'll see that in the first part of verse 5. And we'll see that again in verse 10. And finally, we will see that sin is seen as significant. And that's going to be seen in the second half of verse 5, as well as verse 11. And it would seem that, that what Luke is trying to do is he's, he's trying to develop and expand this idea of what we've already seen in Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Do you remember it where, where it says that, that as the early church was gathering and, and, and they were spending time in the Word, they were spending time in prayer, they were spending time in fellowship. And, 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 and then it says, everyone was filled with awe over what was going on. And two times in, in this passage, we're, we're going to see this, that everyone is gripped with fear. Why? Because of the significance of sin. And no doubt what this is illustrating is this, this destructive power of sin. In particular, the, the sin that we're going to see here is, is greed and deceit. But I also think it, it's, it's very telling, isn't it, that, that up to this point, what we have seen is basically a picture-perfect church. Has it been not seen over and over and over again just how incredible this church is? And, and, and they hold everything in common. And they're centered on the Word of God. And they spend time praying. And then they, they remember the Lord and, and, and everything just... Man, if, up to this point, if all that we'd ever seen was up to verse 37 of chapter 4 and we didn't get into this part, you'd think, oh, that is a perfect church. And, and yet the reality is there is no perfect church. And as great as this church was because of what the Lord was doing in it, we're still going to see that, that sin plays a part. That sin what? It enters the early church as did Satan. 
And God wants us to understand this. That even in the midst of this, what we're going to see too, along with this idea of being gripped with fear, we're going to see a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit. In these 11 verses, the Holy Spirit comes up three times. Verses 3, 4, and 9. And why is the Holy Spirit emphasized? Why do we see the Holy Spirit being mentioned so many times? I believe it's because the Lord is trying to warn us against how we can hinder the expression of unity, love, and holiness that, that, that comes through the fellowship of believers that was what? Created by the Holy Spirit. That is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one at work. And so to a certain extent, He is the one that Ananias and Sapphira are doing battle against and working against and not heeding Him. So look at verse, verses 1 and 2. As we see, as is so often the case, sin is planned and then played out. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see right from the start this word but, which we know is a word of contrast. So, so what is going on? As we looked at last week, the final section of, of chapter 4 was this model, this example of what it looks like to be a, a God-honoring, gracious, Spirit-filled and controlled believer who gives to others. And now what we're going to see is, in contrast to that, in contrast of, of this wonderful example, we're going to see the bad example. The way that it shouldn't be done. And, and really, you could also look at it as, as this contrast even between what, what's going on in the church. That they were enjoying what? Great harmony and unity. That God's grace was what was upon them. And now what we're going to see is, is, is instead of harmony, we're going to see disharmony. And instead of grace, we're going to see sin. And it starts off by telling who they are. What their names are just as he was very specific in who the man was that was this good example. Putting Barnabas' name in front of us all. Well, now, now he puts these two names in front of us all. And interestingly enough, their names actually have some significance behind them. For Ananias' name in Hebrew means Yahweh is gracious. And knowing what we know about land, the fact that they even had land depicts a little bit of God's grace in their life, does it not? As not many people had land during this time, but they actually had land, so, so they were wealthy. God was gracious to them. His wife's name in Aramaic, Sapphira, means beautiful. And isn't it interesting that he was no, neither gracious and she was not beautiful as far as God's sight goes. And in fact, even though they have nice names and these names have these deep meanings, nothing is more heinous and detestable in God's sight than those who flaunt a spiritual beauty which they do not possess. And that's what it was that they were doing. They were putting on the nice clothes, making it look like that that's what they were, that they were spiritually beautiful, that they were gracious, but the reality is they are not gracious and they are not beautiful in God's sight. 
And so what did they do? They sold a piece of property and kept back. And even in this, you can see it again pointing back to Barnabas. The words that he uses are very similar to the same words that, that we saw used with Barnabas last week. As he sells a piece of property, and yet he kept back some of it. This word kept back is, is very interesting. It means to put aside for oneself. Literally, it can mean to embezzle, to do it secretively, to, to misappropriate funds. And the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the same exact word to describe Achan in Joshua 7.1. And if you remember Achan and his story, as, as they destroy Jericho, God forbids them from taking any of the spoil from Jericho and says, no, this, this needs to be devoted to the Lord. But what does Achan do? He says, oh no, I want some of that. And so he takes it and then he's punished. And so he takes that which is not his when God tells him not to. Ananias takes that which is his but pretends like he's giving it all to the Lord. And so could it be that when he uses this word that, that all of the Jewish people who are now listening to him, that they immediately tie it into Achan? It, it could be. His sin was trying to make himself look more gracious, generous, self-sacrificing than he really was. It's the sin of hypocrisy. But it doesn't stop at that. As he includes his wife. As it says, they, they, they set aside some, he sets aside some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. To share information with, to make privy to, to be an accomplice with. And, and, and the tense in the Greek actually goes back to the fact that they did this at one time in the past, but the consequences keep going on. That it's the idea that they recognize, hey, we may have to actually keep going back to this little plan that we came up with. And maybe, maybe they actually had an understanding that they'd have to give accounts at different times. And isn't it interesting how the divine institution of marriage has brought them together to become one flesh, and yet instead of allowing that union and that relationship to encourage each other on towards love and godliness, it actually goes the, the opposite direction. And in some cases, it reminds me of Adam and Eve. Does it not? This is very similar. That Eve then gives the fruit to, to Adam. And even in this too, Satan and his involvement as Satan shows up where? He shows up in the church just as he showed up in, in the garden. At a particular time when what was happening? When Adam and Eve were enjoying this rich, deep fellowship with God. And what does he want to do? He wants to break that fellowship. And now in the church, it's the same exact thing that is going on. The, the early church, Christ's church, what are they doing? They're enjoying rich fellowship, one with another and with God. And Satan comes in and what does he want to do? He wants to destroy that. And it says, so what? So bringing a portion of it. That, that's contrasting the fact that they didn't bring the whole. Again, pointing back to Barnabas. Why? Because he brought everything. And so then we see what happens next. Verse 3. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Again, we see the, the, the contrast. Contrasting with, okay, what you just said, what you just did, that's not the truth, Ananias. And there's emotion involved in this as well as, as, as Luke goes to this direct speech. The interaction that happened between them. As he says, Ananias, why is Satan? And we know who Satan is. Literally, he's the adversary. He's the enemy of God and to all those who belong to God. And he's regarded here as, as, as the ultimate cause of this attack. And this attack was on the what? On the unity and the holiness of the church. And yet we're going to see that Ananias is still held responsible, still held culpable for what he does. Which brings us to an interesting question, and, and I'm sure you're going to say, well, I know Pastor Jason believes in this, but not. is spiritual warfare real? Is, does it indeed really happen? Oh no, this is just in the time of the apostles. And, and, and since that time, Satan has just gone underground and, and, and he's no longer at odds. Is, is that what's going on? No, of course not. But here's another thought. Let's make it a little more personal. Have you yourself ever been tempted by Satan in this kind of way? And before you answer too quickly, let, let me remind you that for all the power that Satan does have, he is not God. One, he, he's, he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time. So when it says that Satan is the one that did this, and we say, oh yes, Satan tempted me, I, I think I might ask you to, to, to really think about what you're saying. That of all the people in the world that Satan could go after, he's going to come after me? No, more likely what's happening is that he's sent one of his, his demons. If, if that is indeed the, the case, I think oftentimes what happens is that it's, it's our own flesh and our sinful heart pulling us into sin. And yet the reality is, we know from Ephesians 6, we know from many passages in Scripture, that Satan is still prowling around. That he is still trying to destroy Christ's church. And, and we saw that time and time again in Papua New Guinea. But I think oftentimes when people said, the devil made me do it, it's not so much the devil. And so what does Satan do? He, he comes and he, and he fills his heart. This isn't the same word used that, that we saw being Peter being filled with the Spirit, being controlled and under the influence of the Spirit and then preaching like, like he did. It's, it's, it's more this idea that we saw in Acts 2-2, this filling of, of where something gets filled, like the room gets filled with the noise like a rushing wind. And, and, and so Satan comes and he has some sort of temp, tempting force upon Ananias. And isn't it interesting to note that where he goes at is his heart. Why? Because that's where all sin begins. Sin begins at our hearts. And, and we see in this too Satan's attack to destroy the church. What his plan is. And, it, and it's a twofold plan. And we saw the first part of the plan back in chapter 4. And, and that's where he wants to attack the church from without, from the outside. And so, so what does he do? He, 
He sends the Sanhedrin after the church and, and tries to contain them, stop them from doing what they're doing. And that doesn't work. In fact, they get more bold. They get more courageous. And so now what does he do? He goes into the second part of his plan. And now he's going to attack the church because he wants to destroy the church, but now he's going to go from within. Why? Because Satan's trying to destroy the church. And he's going to do the same thing today, and he's still doing the same thing today. And do we not see that? And he depicts exactly what this influence from Satan does. It it, it causes Ananias to lie to the Holy Spirit. Isn't that strange? It says that we know that he's lying to, to Peter and the apostles and whoever else is there. So, so really he's lying to the church, but no, when, when, when it's pulled back and, and, and we look at what God's Word's saying, he's lying to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit who creates, fills, and sustains the church, empowers the church. But yet, even in all of this, as, as, as we look at this, what is going on? What is, this, what is the major issue that Peter's addressing? Is it the amount of money that Ananias brought? Is it because it's such a meager amount that that's why he comes after him so hard? No. It's his lack of integrity. It's the deception. It's the lying. Bringing only a part while pretending to bring the whole. What did they want? They wanted the credit. They wanted the prominence of the whole body that they had actually given generously, that they were gracious, but they wanted this reputation without the inconvenience and without the personal cost. And so we see that, that, that their motive in giving what wasn't to meet the needs of the body, wasn't to honor Christ, to elevate His name, but it was to elevate their own name and make themselves look better compared to everybody else. And so then we know what happens. And yet Peter gives us this, this cool little insight. In case we were wondering, okay, maybe it had to do with the amount, maybe it had to do with this. No, no. Look at verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. What's his point? He's saying, okay, before you sold it, wasn't this property yours? And after you sold it, wasn't the money that you then acquired, wasn't that yours? Wasn't it your right, your choice, to do with this whatever you wanted? You didn't have to sell in the first place. And then when you did sell and you, and you acquired whatever you acquired, you could do with it whatever you wanted. You didn't have to give any to the church. But you did. And, and what did he want? He wanted this great reputation for everybody to look good upon him. But at the same time, I wonder if it actually happened to where at some point he, he and Sapphira are talking about it. And he says, you, you know, yes, we, we should give all of this because, well, that's what Barnabas did. And maybe actually they'd even com communicated as a body that this is what they were doing. And maybe they'd already communicated that's what they were going to do. 
The text doesn't tell us that exactly, but, but, but there seems to be implications that, that is the case. And yet at some point, and I don't know if it's Ananias or it's Sapphira, or, or the two of them came up with, with this plan. Well, you know, nobody would know except for you and I. Honey, what, what do you think if we actually pulled some of this back and we could use it to add on an addition to our house? Who knows? And then she said, well, yeah, you're right. And so they come up with this plan. Why? Because they're seeking the praise of humans over the praise of God. That's what they're concerned with. They're concerned with others and how others look at them. And maybe why this is so challenging is because that is exactly the way that I am. And most likely it's the way that you are. We are so concerned with what others think when who we should be concerned with is what God thinks. And then he says this, why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? That you come up with this plan? Wait a minute. I I thought earlier it said that Satan was the one that filled his heart. Now now it's saying, wait, no, this was your idea. So, So Pastor Jason, is it Satan or is it Ananias? Who's doing this? And I would say it's not either or. It's not Satan or Ananias. It's both. That Satan, yes, Satan is is part of what's going on, but Ananias is responsible for how he responds. Even in this, Ananias could have resisted the temptation of Satan, but he chose not to. Man, take heed lest you fall. Recognize these things. And then it says, you have not lied to men, but to God. This goes back to verse 3, where it says that that Ananias had lied to the Holy Spirit. This is a a text where many go to in order to, to prove that the Holy Spirit is indeed God. They are one and the same. Three persons, one essence. And then on top of that, it gives us another perspective on the Holy Spirit. That He's not something. He's not some impersonal force that we tap into and come out of. He's a person. Why? Because He can be lied to. And in Ananias' case, you did not want to lie to the Holy Spirit in front of everyone else right there in the beginning of the church. Because sin is punished. And in this case, it is punished quickly and severely. Look at verse 5. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. This term, breathed his last, in the New Testament, it always appears within the context of someone being struck down by divine judgment. And yet it's funny, as I, as I read commentaries, you wouldn't believe how many directions people go. Oh, you know what really happened here is this is a heart attack. And because Peter just made this such a public spectacle that he just couldn't handle it and his poor little heart gave out. Well, it might have been a heart attack, but it was God that caused the heart attack. Because God is the one who is seen as the one responsible, as the ultimate agent for what is going on. And you can't explain it any other way except for to say this is God. And great fear then, what came over all who heard it? It it speaks of a healthy respect or awe or reverence of God and His displayed power. 
It's not meant to mean there are fear in the sense of terror or panic. It's fear in the sense of God's awesomeness and His greatness as displayed before them. But doesn't this seem a little too severe of a punishment? I mean, think about it. What, what indeed did He do? All that He did was lie a little bit. He still gave, right? Didn't He still come and give to the Lord? And maybe it was a lot of money. And, and on top of it, as we look at this, there's no chance of repentance. It isn't like Peter says, time out. Are you sure? Come on. You got, you got a little bit more somewhere? No, he doesn't even give him the chance. We're going to see with Sapphira, he's much more gracious with her. But, but with Ananias, he doesn't even get a chance. Why would God be so quick to punish this? Please listen. What is the big deal? We need to see the battle being waged here. And maybe it's because I was a missionary in Papua New Guinea for so long that I saw this battle lived out, that this becomes so clear, but there is a battle over the souls of men, is there not? There is a battle over the church for the controlling influence over Christ's church. And, and we see this all over. All you have to do is turn on the television and, and see a thing called the church, but it's not Christ's church. Satan wants to have his way and is trying to infiltrate Christ's church. And Christ will have nothing to do with it. That's what's going on here. Christ is revealing how important the purity and unity of His church is. Because Christ takes the church seriously, He takes Satan seriously, and He takes sin seriously. Oftentimes, I'm not sure we take any of those seriously. Remember what Jesus had said in Luke 22, 31-32. Jesus warned His disciples about Satan's desire to sift them all like wheat. But He promised to pray that Peter's faith might not fail and that he, that Jesus himself would strengthen his faith so that Peter could then strengthen the others. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. Strengthening their faith. Building their resolve. And then the text goes on. It says, The young man got up, verse, verses 6 to 8, got up and covered him. Covered him up and after carrying him out, they buried him. That was just the natural way that they did things during this time because of the hot, humid climate just like in Papua New Guinea. You don't want a body to lay around very long. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. Man, I wish that Scripture just stopped there. And that it changed and then it, and then it says, no, we didn't. Instead it says, and she said, yes, that was the price. Don't we see God's grace even in this? That she's given an opportunity to repent. She could have said, okay, you're right. Actually, it wasn't for such and such price. It was, it was for a lot more than this. And Ananias and I, we, we kind of started thinking and, and, and we really, we wanted to look good in everybody's eyes. So we have more money at home. Would you please forgive us for lying to, to you? And, and, and Sapphira's story would have been totally different. Ananias' story's done. 
And yet, how does she answer? She says, yes, that, that was the price. And then we know, look, look at verse 9. And then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. I mean, he, he's somewhat prophetic. He knows that exactly what happened is going to happen again. <laughs> to such an extent, he's like, oh, they're right here. You're done. And notice here that, that, that when Peter brings everything to bear, he brings it to bear upon the Holy Spirit that that is who they were trying to what? To test. Hey, let's see how far we can, how much we can get away with here. Nobody's gonna know. And what they didn't recognize is that yes, God knows everything. And yet if the Holy Spirit was not involved, how do you think this would have played out? I wonder how many in that body who were present were really thinking, that is a great couple. That is a godly couple. Man, look at how much they have and how much they're willing to give. And that from that perspective, all of them probably thought, oh my, this is a wonderful couple. And and, and yet that was so far from the truth. You know what? We can lie and we can fake it in front of others but we can never lie and fake it in front of our God. We can put on our best face. We can sit next to our kids in church and they can behave real well and we can look like we're calm, gentle, kind parents and then we get home and it's a totally different story. Or, or what have you. But we cannot lie to God. We, we can't masquerade and live two separate lives and think we're fooling Him. Look at verse 10. As, as again we see, sin is punished. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. What, what is Christ doing here? He's keeping his church pure. And he's showing the significance of sin to the entire body. And I'm certain if, if, if you're like me, at some point, if you, if you haven't had this question yet, you're going to have this question in the next week as you consider this, this text. Okay, Pastor Jason, but, but we're Ananias and Sapphira believers. How are we supposed to look at them? And, and I would say there, there's quite a bit of scriptural support to say that, that they were believers. I, I could take us back to Acts 4.32. And, and do you remember how it talked about the congregation, that big, great big group that was meeting and what it, what it said about them? It said it was a congregation of those who believed. They were believers. And also, how many times have we seen the Holy Spirit mentioned in this passage here? And, and then it says, in particular, that Ananias was lying to the Holy Spirit. How can you lie to the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit doesn't reside within you? And Unless it's talking about that, again, the Holy Spirit isn't a person, but He's just some sort of thing, and He envelops the church. No, that, that isn't where the Holy Spirit resides. 
The church is just a building. The Holy Spirit resides in believers. And we know that Satan can come personally and, and be involved with believers. Against believers. With, with Peter when Jesus rebukes him. In, in Matthew 16, 21-23. We know from Ephesians 6. From 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. And then we also know from, from 1 Corinthians 11, 30 to 32, as well as 1 John 5, 16, that death can be given to a believer as a form of discipline from the Lord. But in, and yet in all of this, believers can never lose their salvation. So, so even if, and I do believe they were believers, it doesn't mean that they were going to now spend forever separated from God in eternal torment. It means that they came up with a silly, silly plan and should have repented and stopped before it ever carried on to the point of where it did. And this act of God, it's meant clearly to impress upon the early church the seriousness of sin. Look at verse 11. And we'll close with this. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. You know, the, the Greek word, ekklesia for church, this is the first time it shows up in the book of Acts. The, the first time. And so it's understood that this, that this sin, yes, it was done to the Holy Spirit, but it was done to the church, within the church, against Christ's church. And you know what? It sig- signals to you and I that sin ruins the church. Falsehood ruins fellowship. If Christ hadn't done anything to protect the purity of this church, if this lying and deception hadn't been publicly exposed and punished, then this rich fellowship of the early church would have not been preserved as long as it was. Which brings us to the question of, of, well, Pastor Jason, how does does Christ keep sin out of the church today? How how does He preserve holiness and fellowship within the confines of His church? Because last time I went to church, I, I, I didn't see anybody fall dead when, when they gave an offering. So, so how, how does it happen now? And I, I believe the answer is church discipline. This is why we at RBC practice church discipline. Not, not because we, we relish and are excited about having to approach someone in, in, in sin. Anything but but because we recognize the importance of sin and how if sin is not left, is left unattended, it just goes rampant and it destroys and destroys and destroys. And so, so what's the pattern? Well, you see it in Matthew 18. That first, someone who recognizes somebody's in sin, a brother goes to him. And if then that person does not repent, then he, then he takes some others with him. And then if that person does not repent, then the leadership of the church gets involved. And if still he does not repent... And what is the whole reason for seeking someone out? Is to restore them. Because what sin destroys, it doesn't just destroy the church, it destroys lives. Does it not? To bring someone back. And then if they still don't repent, what does it say? It says that they're to be cast out from the church. Not so that they would be cast out forever, they would be cast out until the time of repentance that we could restore them. Church discipline, much like like we see 
and, and Ananias and Sapphira, when someone has is, is, is gotten to the point to where they no longer are welcome in that fellowship, it, it's like being dead to that fellowship, but not physical death. Again, it's God's grace to hopefully bring them back. And much like we've seen today in the, in the book of Acts, church discipline, it, it, it's, it's to deter others from sinning. So we would all recognize the significance of sin. Give us a healthy respect for sin and a, and a proper understanding of the significance. Let, let me close. with this. Who do you identify more with? Barnabas or Ananias and Sapphira? You know, most of us desire to look good in other people's eyes so we do whatever we can to get others' approval. What is most important is for God to be pleased with how we are living. How does God want to work in your life to make your, you more, more like Barnabas and, and less like Ananias and Sapphira? Do you consider sin as significant? You know, this world would tell us No. The, the, the world would say, it's a matter of choice. Sex before marriage, it, hey, it's your call. Divorce without any kind of biblical grounds, your call. Homosexuality, your call. All these things are your... And, and, and yet, God's Word would say no. That ultimately, what God says is what matters. Not what you say matters, or what the world says matters, but what God's Word says matters. Second, What's your idea of a perfect church? We, we know from God's Word there is no perfect church, not even the Church of the Apostles, because Ananias and Sapphira were part of this church. So why would God reveal the sin of Ananias and Sapphira to us? And how significant do you believe sin is in your life or in the life of the church? And how willing are you to combat sin in your own life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We know that these just aren't words on a page, that this isn't just something somebody made up. But this is Your truth. That these are real people. These are real things that happen, Lord. That because of sin, Ananias and Sapphira, were they dropped dead. Allow us to truly grasp the significance of sin. And Lord, allow your grace to motivate us, to empower us, to work in our hearts, to, to transform us, to help us to overcome the sin that entangles us. In Jesus' precious name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. Org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.